0: Hello and welcome to this edition of Stump Mike. I'm Andrew McGlashan and delighted to say that I'm joined by a special guest. With over 300 first-class wickets, a famous test in Pune to his name, and now preparing for another season in the BBL with Sydney Sixers, Steve O'Keefe is with us to look ahead to the tournament and hopefully talk about a few other things as well. Uh, Steve, welcome. Thanks for coming on today. I um, will guess I'll start at the beginning. Um, last couple of seasons, we've generally talked with you and you've not been sure whether you're going to play on again it might have been your last season yeah. what's the motivation to go again and is this going to be the last time
1: um oh, I'd you know I'm just trying to hem it up a bit like Jordan you know just sort of okay. retire and then come back and have all this fanfare around it um oh look honestly I felt like this has been for the last five years as you'd know i probably get into meetings and I'm like a bit uh, a bit bitter, a bit twisted and a bit worn out. And I just feel like that's enough. And then the season will roll around again. And I'm like, why not, if you're still able to do, to do it? So I, I'd say this this is probably the last one, but <laughs> I've gone out there and tried to earn real money in the real world. And it's bloody hard. So I've uh, I've stuck at it. Um, and I genuinely think with the Sixers, well, what the main catalyst has been the coach, Greg Shippard, who's been a great mentor of mine and a great friend who has, You know, not coerced, but it's helped me in areas where I've most found most difficult to play on. And then the side has had so much success. So I'm like, very rarely do you get to play in successful cricket teams. You know, you might have a great year one year and then a low year. But for four years now, I've made the semis, then three straight finals. Last year, we sort of limped into the final with COVID and injuries with certain players. And I just feel like we've still got the same squad. Um, a lot of those guys, I think, in the squad probably take a little bit less than what they, they could be getting on the open market so we can all stay together. And while there's that interest from the coach and captain, I'm like you know, we could go and win another championship and, hey, that'll be a nice sentence one day to say we won four big bashes. <laughs> so <laughs> it'll all seem worth it because I can say that.
0: <laughs> and so how does someone like yourself, who's largely outside of the professional setup, apart from this sort of two month window, prepare for a tournament like the BBL when you perhaps don't necessarily have the structures around you that you would have had um, a few years ago?
1: Yeah, I, I certainly, one thing I took for granted was, you know, a lot of cricket was you were paid to get fit and you had so much support and even just turning up being active most days. Um, now that I don't have that and I've had to work and do a bit of radio and different things, you become sedentary pretty quickly. So it actually has been quite a challenge to try and keep the weight down and the body moving. So yeah, um, you know, I'm lucky. I live close to a gym. Anytime fitness, so I'm there. My missus likes to go there as well, so I try and keep active. I'm playing club cricket for Manly, um, and I, I do check in with the SNC at the Sixers uh, sort of once a week just to check in, see how you're going. I'll send him photos of programs that I'm doing or runs that I've done on map my run and things like that. So I feel like I'm all right. And honestly, I go from what 45 to third man, so I'm, I'm probably covering three <laughs> Ks a game and maybe two sprints ever but I still I'm sure I'll still manage to pop a calf or something in there um, at some stage so it's how well we can manage that but um, I feel like the skill side as well is, as as you're a spinner I remember listening to Rangana Harith and he was 38 and he played that test series in Sri Lanka and I said oh what practice do you do and he goes you know none no practice really during the week just game day be ready for game day um because I guess left arm finger spin I don't know it, it, it's not it's not like the bowling where you, you need to work up your strength in your core muscles, like fast bowlers, um batters, you sort of need that hand eye coordination. You need to be really sharp and like, switched on, which I'm happy to say, you know, I've lost half a step with that. You know, the ball looks like a marble coming down with Haley's Comet at night with the light shining off it. And you're like, where is it? <laughs> oh, there it is stuck on my front pad.
0: So you might be batting number 11 this season.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. I, mate, if I could bat lower, I would, trust me. Um <laughs> You get quite fearful when the knees won't bend and, Jai Richardson's bowling 145k rockets. It's not much fun. Um, um, yeah. You,
0: you talk about the bowling now, and I wanted to ask you really kind of, have you have you changed as a T20 bowler over the years or have you kept things pretty similar from when you started to where you are now?
1: No, I think there's been significant changes for me is um, is in four-day cricket to keep it really simple. I think I probably bowl a yard and a half fuller. So you're, you're really encouraging the drive in in shield cricket. Um, so you're consistently fuller and and trying to hit, say, probably just below the knee roll and a little bit quicker, I'd say in shield cricket. Whereas in T20, you'd think it'd be the, the you know the same or more of the same, but it's to me it's the other way. I think you've got to bowl a bit shorter, and for me, what works is bowling five to ten k slower. So it took me probably three to four seasons to work that out. I didn't wasn't really successful. You know, I was a bits and pieces player and early on didn't play a lot of games and whatnot. The, the last few years where I've probably had my most success is is bowling slower and then having the option to bowl Yorkers and cut shots and cross seam are all things that I've added and because I've watched other people do it essentially in the IPL, the different formats all around the country, different spinners. So it certainly has changed the way that I think about bowling, that's for certain.
0: Um, you touched on the success that the Sixers have had. I just want to talk about them a little bit now. I mean, you mentioned coming close in last year's uh, final of a, a very similar squad which has been a trend through the sixes what's the and i know it's a slightly strange building up to a bbl season because obviously we're still we're, we're recording this while the final round of shield is going on so i don't know how much or whether you've even been together as a squad yet but from the players you've spoken to talking to greg shippard what's the feeling like around the the group this season heading into another campaign
1: yeah, we're on a group chat, which we, which we have on, which we'll, we'll touch on a little bit and people will throw the odd message out, which has all the staff, everyone involved. Um, and I think to have success, you need to have that level of connectedness. And I think one of the good things is because we've got consistency in our player roster, in there's not too many changes. But if we do bring someone in, it's generally someone that we know adds value to the the culture of the, the club. So Dan Christian, you know, is a big example. Mm. A lot of us played cricket with him and he had that years of experience. And even if he's not playing, which he is playing and playing really well, he's passing on information and knowledge and well settled in his life. So they're the sort of players that we attract along with young guys. So there already is that synergy there from years gone by. And even if we haven't seen each other in the lead up, we know it's still there. And I think one of the best examples is a Jordan Silk, who, who's come from Hobart. I think, again, would probably get a lot more, money a lot more could probably go down and play at the hurricanes and and own that place for the next five years he loves coming up to sydney and being a part of the system and when you can get guys like him i think who are just you know really at the top of being a social and moral and leader and a great well you know great values in, in his life and you get you can get like him attract guys like him to stay at the club then mm-hmm. makes it easy for everyone else to build and bounce around um, that so we've certainly got it even though we're not speaking uh, as Marshall, blokes are in different areas. We still stay connected, and we know what it's like when we turn up together. We we have a, a motto that we love travelling. You know, a lot of teams don't like it, but we embrace being on the road. and Generally, put in our best performances. So, yeah, I, I don't see that being uh, posing a problem. Uh, in saying that, yeah, it is a short turnaround. We have a week, I think, as a, as a squad, include maybe a couple of trials and some mm-hmm. training, and then you know we're we're bang into it.
0: A couple of the younger players I just wanted to ask about. Um, Josh Philippe has obviously put together a couple of really good back-to-back seasons. Hayden Kerr had a breakout season last year, played that extraordinary innings at the SCG to, uh, in the yeah. final series, 98 not hour I think, opening the batting for the first time. Can you just talk about those two um, a little bit? And uh, you, you, you sort of touched on the how the Sixers squad stay together. Would you hope that those are a couple of players that will become, as much as you can these days, lifetime Sixers players?
1: Yeah, Yeah, that's a great point. And I think that's the way we try and look at our players. Um, And our Moses is a big leader of that, of trying to leave a legacy. You know, he knows that he's, I don't know, how he might have another 10 years, who knows? But he's always thinking about who the next captain is, leaving the place in a better shape. And that's forefront of his mind. And you can see it with guys like Josh Phillip. We we don't just want them for the year. We want them to be lifetime sixes. want them to see how we go about our business and then he can transfer that onto the next generation. And he's already doing that. He's a leader in his own right. Josh, he's an all-rounder, you know, batter and keeper. He's had two fantastic seasons. And we like to think, you know, if he's at Perth and things are going really well, then he can come to the Sixes and he can continue that form on. Or if things aren't going well at home, this is a breath of fresh air for him to come in and really um, showcase his skills and just get out there and and um, be himself and, you know, in a relaxed environment. And same with Hayden Kerr that, you know, these sort of overnight, 10-year overnight successes you know there's been a lot of work going into him over the last couple of seasons of training and belief and coach backing him and playing him for him to then go out and perform so it doesn't come as a surprise to us because we know he's got this super all-round ability um but people just see him go oh where'd you get that find and you know greg will be the sort of like well i've been you know monitoring and following this kid and tracking him and backing him for a long time and this is the end product so yeah, I, I mean, you think about Hayden Kerr's season, it was close to leading, we could take it. That 98 was about as good as, probably one of the best, if not the best sixes knocks mm. we've had. We've had no one hit 100. James Vince runs in a final was pretty big. Josh Phillips gone close a couple of times. But in terms of crunch performances with a team that was depleted, that was right up there. One, you know, it's in the top five big bash sixes innings of all time. So... Um, we'll, we'll have more of that if he, if he can manage it. I just don't know where we're fitting him into the batting lineup. We've got so much, <laughs> yeah. so much talent from one that you know, Betty Dorsus will probably bat nine, and I think in any other team, he could bat six. He's you know, he's that good. So, um, we're certainly sport for all rounders and depth of batting, that's for certain.
0: You've mentioned Greg a couple of times already, he's obviously taken on another interim job in the last week as well with the Blues. Um, after Phil's um departure, can you just Talk a little bit more about Greg. He's this iconic figure in certainly Australian but also world coaching. I mean, you, just what is he like to work with? Is he as, is he as sort of like, is he almost like that mythical figure slightly in coaching?
1: Um, for a bloke who sits there and says he wants to stop coaching, he, he send, tends to find his way back into coaching roles, doesn't he? He's got coaching the Shield Cricket. He does that. He's a consultant down in Hobart. <laughs> The thing I love he carries around this old suitcase and it's like looks about hundred years old um, and he carries it over his shoulder and he's just got this book that again I reckon is about 50 years old and it's just got, looks like the ramblings of a madman he's got he's got stats, he's got numbers, he's got thoughts he's got teams he's got this he's got his his, his workbook that his worksheet that he goes to with all his cricket sayings and euphemisms um, How do you explain him? Well I just think he's a guy that over 25 years is, has, is a student of the game and every year has learnt off the off every occasion, experience he's had previously and then moulded it into the next group that he's had, which has been in front of him. So us at the Sixers, he's been there for six or seven years. Each year he comes to us with something new. Each year he finds a way of engaging with all 18 players, um, and off the field and on the field, some of our conversations that I'll have with him won't even be about cricket, it'll be about life. Um, you know, I really admire that. I think he accepts the fact that there's, you know, 15 different players or 18 different players. So there's 18 different sets of standards. There's 18 different sets of expectations and he doesn't try and change that. You know, Shippy's famous... Anecdote is, you know, you got the peas boiling here, you got the potatoes on the oven, you got the chicken in the in the, in the, roasting away over there, and they're all different. But when we bring them all together, we have this beautiful meal. And he goes, "That's what this team is. We've got you over there, and you over there, and him here, and you know." He doesn't ever try to be the the god of the team. He doesn't sit over the top and talk down to us. He just he's the glue. You know, he's the guy that brings us all together and tries to get the best out of us. Um, you know, and, and I think the main reason is he just treats the players holistically. You know, he's got respect for us on and off the field. And I, I dare say everyone in that team would feel the, the same way about him. And it's no surprise that guys like Ricky Ponting and that still go to him as a mentorship because of his knowledge. Um, and yeah, he's just got a great coaching. style. I think he's teaching background help. You know, he gives you access to all the information, but doesn't pound it onto you. Um, and it's, you know, he makes the sessions generally player-driven, we know the guy that's in charge is shipping, you know, the guy that sits over the top is is Greg. So and he knows how to you know he, he knows how to have fun. He knows what the expectations of the club are, but he also knows that there's different groups of men in stages of their life. And you know, if it means having a beer here or there, you know, he understands that in the in the the scheme of things, you know. Um and he also need when he needs to give us a kick up the bum, you know, it comes from a good place because he's he's given that given that respect over time so if you're getting a kick up the bum from shipping you know it's coming from a good place so you respect it straight away so I I couldn't speak more highly of a coach I could ramble on for hours to be honest (laughs) Um, but I I love it how he gets in team meetings and just says you know be the hero of your role tonight you know step up step forward and be the hero of your role you know and that you'll always find a way of connecting it before a game that makes you feel that switched on and so does Moses you know they're on the same you know, in my opinion, of being coaches and leaders, they're just fantastic.
0: Having been through a number of successful BBL campaigns and some that obviously haven't been as successful, what's the key of putting together a good BBL season? Obviously, the tournament has got longer over the years. It, as you've mentioned, a lot of travel. You guys sound like you embrace the, the travel side of it. Um, is it about peaking at the right time? Is it about having fun? Is, is there a formula for winning the BBL?
1: Yeah, I, I you know, I think a, a bit of luck. I think any T20 game is a coin toss, generally, from one to eight teams, it's a coin toss. It's a 50 50, generally speaking, because any team on their day will have a, can have a standout player, a standout star. And again, Greg will talk about winning by design. He's like, this just, we don't fluke these wins. We practice them, we believe in them. And no matter what situation we're in, we we find a way to win. One ball turnarounds you know, 50 off 30 he talks about batting and bowling, getting 50 runs off the last 30 balls. And then when we're defending 50 off 30, when we're bowling. So he's always trying to keep his challenges to stay connected in the moment. Um, and, you know, at the end of each game, we'll assess it. We'll sit down and talk in pairs about our, our favorite moments. And there might be really small things, a catch here, a stop here, you know, great innings. Um, and we're always reflecting and learning so we can move into the next, next game and next challenge. So, you know, even though it is a coin toss, because of the work and preparation we do, we, we, we try and lean that more towards us. So it's more of a 55%, 60% chance for us because we've done our homework, because we've seen these experiences before, because we know how to get out of them, because we've picked the right squad for the, you know, right, right place, right people, or right people, right place sort of thing. We've, you know, it's all, it's not by no fluke, you know. And um, I think the easiest way to assess it is winning by design, and that's what our whole emphasis of playing, preparing is all about.
0: Before I just go on to a couple of slightly broader issues around the BBL, can I just ask you what your memories are of that first final? Um, <laughs> you opened the batting, I was looking at the scorecard before you dialed in, remembered you opened the batting, you knocked for 22 off four overs and then smashed 48. What, what were your memories of that day and perhaps just kind of what were you thinking at the time of where this all might go back in, when, when, when was it, 2011 or something?
1: Yeah, I think we just caught lightning in a bottle, didn't it? T20 cricket. I was like, wow, what is this? Because you used to play it with the estate and it was the same. You'd get 15,000 there watching a state game and you're like, what is this? This is incredible. You know, and Andrew Johns was playing in the estate (laughs) too. It was bizarre. You know, people didn't know where it fit in in cricket, thought it was just pure entertainment. Um, And then it, it, you know, culminated into that final in BVL01 where you played eight weeks of cricket and eight games. It was it was bonkers. You know, you'd have a week to prepare for a T20, which no one really knew at the stage how to play. So you just sort of slogged. And we just had this theory coming into the finals. I think it might have been Brad Haddon and um, Trevor Bayless was the coach. I think they were like, right, well, let's just throw something new at them. So you're going to go from eight and you're going to open. So I the semi and then had a little bit of success. I might have got 28 or something or 26 in the semifinal. And just you. my whole job was just to go out there and slog. Um, and just keep going until you got out. And then uh, the final, yeah, the same thing happened. They just said, right, we're going to throw you up at the top. And I remember walking out, we had Ben Robert Smith, the VC medalist, landing a chopper on the field and hand the trophy out. <laughs> they were packed and the, the Perth crowd is so raucous. And they just said again, had to just said, do you want to open the buddy? And I'm like, well, of course, it's better one than eight. And then I remember walking out, we'd kept it at 160 and I was getting sledge from Paul Collingwood, like, oh, it's going to be hard under life. So I said, mate, it's harder every time I walk out here to bat. I'm bat nine. Like, I'm not used to this. So <laughs> give me your best, but it's going to be difficult. And I swung so hard and ended up with a runner ball 48. Like, I was swinging. I, I would swing it, miss it three, and then somehow hit a, a an, an outside edge would go for four. It was a horrible innings. Maybe hit two or three clean. So I was 48 off 48. And I got to the point where I was like, I just need to get out of here. I ended up ramping one straight up and I was the most relieved man ever because the next man in was Steve Smith. I think we needed to run a ball and he got, him in, you know, he got him in half that time, just went bang, 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 doing all the things I was trying to do but just made it look good. And then Moses at the other end played a stellar innings of 70-odd off 50, which was the key to that success of us doing well. So fond memories. Uh, it was a lot of fun, I remember that. And then we followed that up with going to the Champions League, which is probably the best two weeks of cricket that I've ever been on away from Australia and the best team I'd ever been in I had Josh Hazlewood, Pat Cummins, David Warner, Shane Watson, uh, you know, batting had Haddon Lum. It was ridiculous. Like the side I've still got a photo of at home was just the most amazing. Nick Maddison was in there and it was just the best cricket team I'd ever played in. We just trounced this tournament. We had so much fun in Cape Town and and in South Africa and it, it, and and we ended up winning this thing. And again, it was like just, bizarre and had all these young superstars in the side um and we just drained we did not lose a game in the final we rolled the next best team which was an african team for 100 and we got them one down and it was just oh it's just that it's it still is it's 2012 10 years on it's been 10 years since it and it's still my best cricketing memories without a doubt by well, a long way and
0: um- Without wanting to bring the, the tone of the chat down from, from that high point, it, it's, <laughs> been, it's, been a, it's been a tough couple of years for the BBL. A lot of it, of course, outside of its control because of the pandemic. Mm. Uh, but There were rumblings before then about a few of the things, structures, length, a little bit about the quality perhaps. Uh, what's your current feeling as someone who is still involved, but it sort of has a slightly broader view now because you also do some media work. You're looking into the game a little bit more. What's your current feeling about the competition?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it, when we talked about when it first came out, we captured lightning in the bottle and they were really brave and bold about the way that they went about introducing these new teams, new colours, um, city-based teams with different names. It was, you know, really energised cricket. And I think we're getting to a point now where we're, we're just trying to flog it and, and in, a, in a sense not disrespecting the fan, but we're not, I don't think we're considering the fan as much as what we should. So, and I think what we're hearing, what I hear when you put your ear to the ground is that it's too long. A lot of the games lose context. Um, You know, torn is too long. Games go too long. uh, And, you know, we want to see the best players in the world playing, you know, they're sort of general themes that you're hearing. And I do probably concur to a certain extent with some of those things. And I think they're going away. Cricket Australia is trying to rectify these Issues, so they're trying to, um, you know, bring in the best players. We saw that with the auction. Whether you think that was a success or not is up to the individual. But I guess it was a way of trying to engage these best players. They've shortened the tournament time-wise down, um, and I think the keys also are trying to get games on it a, a bit earlier in the night. So school holidays is key. That's where we have our best crowds and best engagement. And I think trying to get the game starting at five, so families can come in and get out by nine or ten instead of being there till eleven or twelve at night. It's just a long night for families. And, you know, we'll spend an hour at the end of the game signing autographs. But if that game's dragged on to 10, 30, 11, then it's 12 o'clock and the lights are going out at the SCG, they've got to get car, get home, it's 1 or 2 o'clock. It's a great experience, but it's just too late. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, I think we, unless we have that brave boldness that, that was done earlier on and ways to try and improve the game uh, in those areas, then I think we might, you know, it might see a, a gradual decline, which I don't want to see, but I think will be inevitable. Yeah
0: do you think that being brave and bold then is actually looking at the at the less is more solution here and and you 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 kind of you speak to people around the game some quite senior people and they will often bring up the argument and say well look the bumper tv deal is based on x number of games if we reduce that their argument is will it sell for the same and will the players accept that Bit less money coming to the game and, and where all this money goes. I mean, do, do do you think though that it would be a better and therefore more attractive competition if it was if it was fewer games?
1: Yeah, I think so. And I and I'd be I'll speak on my own here. And this will be it's easy for me to say, but I think you know trying to get the game to free to air is pivotal, and maybe taking a bit less to to really make a better product of the game. So we've got this better product that maybe in 5 years you might reap the benefits of a better product rather than it's going 14 16 18 22 26 three extra teams and you're just expanding and and it all implodes on itself. So you know, be a brave man, CEO whoever sits in there and takes less than what the last TV deal was. And I think that you're right, the players are probably in their own right vote that they, they just you, you want to make as much money as you possibly can out of the product. So um so it's a tricky question, but I would play less games and take less to play a, a more condensed, quality tournament where you had eighty to ninety thousand people turn up to watch a Melbourne derby to watch Cameron White, D Hussey, Zampa, all play, and you'd have ninety thousand packed there because they knew this was just a rare special occasion where you'd get Australia's best cricketers in the MCG battling against each other. You know, it blows my mind away to think Shield cricket's so on right now. Well was on and you'd have Usman Khawaja, Manus Lubbershane up against the young Quicks from New South Wales. And I'm like, this is some of the best contests you'll see in world cricket. These guys are at the top of their game and it's happening domestically. So we've got this pool of talent, which we need to get excited about as well. Um, And, you know, no one will go and watch Shield cricket. And it's the same here domestically. We need to bump up our local players and make them heroes because we've got so much seriously good talent. It's been diluted because of COVID and we've had people come in and had to play in four different teams last year just to keep the tournament live, which I understand and respect. But in the same breath, you you want to showcase Australia's best talent. You want to create their identity with the club so people can follow that player and that team around. So Steve Smith, he's an iconic sixer. Mitchell Stark, we want to think of him as an iconic sixer. Same as Josh Hazelwood. So you build a brand around these players. And you want to do it with the next proper player. So Josh Philippi, let's make him a hero. Let's let's big him up. You know, Fraser McGurk from Melbourne, let's big him up. He's a great field, a good young talent. This is the best in the, not only Australia, but one of the best in the world, you know. But he can't make the Australian team, but he's one of the best. So I guess trying to make heroes in all these different clubs stand out, sometimes you can be counterproductive in going out and trying to get the best players in the world, saying, oh, we're only, we're only good if we get these best players. So there's a balance between that and also building up the domestic players. So, I, I, you know, it's it's not easy. I understand that Alistair Dobson and CA have got to really, you know, balance it in a difficult area. And I think so far they're trying to listen to the consumer and, and bring in changes. I just think they need to, next, over the next couple of years, there needs to be big changes. How, how that is, that's a question for them.
0: Do you think sometimes when people look at the BBL, they actually – Look at the cricket played in a slightly unfair light. How do you? What do you think about the actual quality? That and maybe take out. <coughs> pardon me. Some of the games from last season, which were badly COVID hit. But broadly speaking, do you think the quality of the cricket in the BBL has held up over
1: the years? Uh, I, I, I don't. I don't think so. I think when it first started, you you had you. I don't know. I just felt like you had probably your best, even if you were playing for Australia. I know the window was different, but
0: hmm. it
1: just seemed like you had even the best T20 Australian players now and even the Test players were still playing. So you still had those guys come back into squads and teams. Um, you know, as I said, it was like, you know, you had D Hussey, Brad Hodge, Cameron White, you know, they had these standout T20 world players who were still playing in the domestic competitions, you know, like, shit, this is actually such a good contest. We maybe lost that a little bit. So where you need to change that is to go, well, these young players coming through are and will be, as I said, the Philippines the Fraser McGurks, insert name insert name so you've mm-hmm. got to we've got to try and build that clash up and build those identities up and the game's got to build that to make it then appealing to consumers i think over covid hasn't helped that was thing, you know, and you know eight teams is it too many I, I don't i think it's i think if you really wanted to be bold you'd go back to a state based big bash you'd have six states you'd then have 12 games you'd have clashes between queensland and new south wales you'd have rivalries from WA to New South Wales, you'd have SA and whoever, Victoria, whatever, and you could have these state-based, broad-based, you'd thin the teams down, you'd have 12 games and you go back to this state-orientated thing. And I don't I don't know whether that would be an idea. And then you, you, you're really narrowing your teams down, you're condensing all that talent, you're playing 12 games and all of a sudden I feel like you go, oh, geez, this is, you know, would that ever happen? I, I don't know. But that's just a think tank idea of shortening the season Making it talent so. I mean, imagine trying to squeeze the Sydney and Thunder teams into one team would be hard work. You know, I'd probably squeeze myself out of a team because I'd be the third spinner picked. So, <laughs> but would that be exciting to watch? Absolutely.
0: Uh, you you touched on it before about the overseas draft. I mean, it, one thing it meant that there was a bit of cricket talk while the footy codes were still going on. I mean, it was taking place, wasn't it, late August or something? Do you? We, we've seen inevitably a number of players have now. Are now not going to come there are some good replacements of course Faf de Plessy signed the other day um Andre Russell's coming for a few games Martin Guptal. so there's some good players coming in in there Steve do, do you do you think the concept of that draft achieved what it wanted to do um initially or do you think there's uh, do, you, do you think there's work to do uh, on that if it's going to yeah, be done again?
1: I think the idea of it was great. Try and get your overseas players out and, and, you know, showcase this extra night of a draft, which I think the night actually looked a lot of fun, didn't it? You know, had all these names coming out, teams picking it, didn't know how it was going to look. But I think the idea is great. And I think what got sold to the consumer was a bit of a myth because you're like this sort of this this idea of having Papadou Placet and Andre Russell come out and play in Australia. It was all marketed behind them. And then they didn't even get picked up. You know, I was sort of like saying, you know, it'd be like going to a a Vans walk to a concert when I was a kid and saying Blink-182 was going to headline and then they just didn't turn up. You'd be like, well, hang on, I feel a bit, <laughs> like I've been robbed here. Um, but they are eventually playing. So I'm a fan of trying to engage these players and paying the overseas what they're worth. You know, and our best young players in Australia paying them what they're worth. And if it's a bit overs and we need to do it to compete with these other tournaments, then we just need to do it. So I'm a fan of trying to pay them. But ideally you want to have the continuity of these players playing full tournament you know and i know it's not easy through playing for their countries and and other tournaments throwing more money at them so they'll come in and out but it geez would be nice if we could get a position in where we could lock them in and have them for the whole season and and we can have that. Say you had an ever uh, endless supply of money and we could get a b to Villiers for 14 games and back C for 14 games you know how that happens, again, is a challenge that they're going to have to come up with. But they are thinking towards it. And ultimately, we do have those guys playing, albeit in small respects. But if those guys put bums on seats, then great. Getting Dave Warner back and playing for the Thunder, absolutely fantastic. Throwing everything you have at Steve Smith, Josh Hayeswood, Mitch Stark, if they've got a window to play, do it, you know. I would pay to watch that. That's who I'd go out to watch, you know. A young Jai Richardson bowling against Steve Smith in the final over and they need nine runs. That to me is would be unbelievable. You know, or a young Hayden Kerr, you know, bowling to Faf Du Place at the top of the order, and um, or how good is Hayden Kerr against the best right hand? So having those small little contests each week in which you can sell games about is a no-brainer. I guess whether you lose the fan, is like, Oh, we got him for four games. It's like, okay, well. Yeah. What are we, who, who do we replace him with? Because we've spent three hundred and fifty grand of our cut. So, you know, Fafty see replacement is probably the next the twentieth best player in Queensland. Who, you know, is, is so far on the other side. You know, he's just learning their game and he's a kid. Mm. So, you know, you, it's hard to balance and get all this right. Um, you know, go to I talk for ages about how <laughs> I think you know, it should be privatized and bring money and have cold cut cutter night riders. But I'd be an owner of X Y Z and Indian teams own X, so they don't hamstring each other in regards to having a competition on at the same time you know having some continuity across the, the globe with t20 franchises so that then you can you're not playing tournaments that are running at the same time so you've seen the t10 on at the moment you have the big bash and the south african league then the uae the league so now there's just so many and and the pockets of these teams are, are deep and if they want them they'll get them
0: you talked about the money for the overseas players and i know sort of money can be a a, a sensitive subject for for people to talk about in all sorts of professions but do you do you think paying the australian cricketers um you've touched on the big names being in the bbl when they're available do you think the priority has to be looking after australian cricketers i know the new mou is coming up in the next uh six months or so um Australian cricketers, I'm thinking the likes of Glenn Maxwell, Marcus Stoinis, Mitchell Marsh, those sorts of players have sort of carried the BB on their shoulders for a number of seasons. Absolutely, they need to be paid what the big overseas players are paid to make sure that they are shown their worth in this tournament.
1: Yeah, oh, absolutely. I think that's probably highlighted. I think you know they've had the auction this year and they've tried to get these overseas but then you go oh, hang on a minute our best talent is those guys that you've just mentioned who have played and probably played for well under what they'd get going anywhere else but done it through loyalty to their states and thing but they are the world's best t20 players you your, your maxwell's your Stoynesses, your marshes your chris lynns we've got to keep these guys in australia playing you know and we've got to pay them what they're worth you know For that's overs and above what our overseas are, then again, we do it because we've got to protect that talent. And if it means paying them extra, then we do it. I, you know, that's just my simple philosophy. I don't, I don't have the checkbook, <laughs> but we don't want to lose these guys. And then the next crop of best players, we don't want to lose them either. So Josh Phillips, we don't want them going, Oh, you know what? I'm going to get half a million in the UAA league. I'm going to, I'm not, what's the point of playing at the sixes for, you know, half of that or a quarter of that Out of loyalty, you know, it just doesn't add up. And I don't expect it to. So Yeah, I think those guys, as you said, quite rightly have carried the game. They're the people people come to see, you know. So first and foremost, lock them in, pay them exactly what they're worth. You know, Davey Warner, whatever it is, Steve Smith, 50 or 100 grand seems ridiculous a game. But if that's what it costs to get them there and make, showcase it and get people to turn on and people to watch, then I'm all for it, you know. And then us bludgers like myself and that, who just fill in the spots, you, you get a free, we'll get, we'll get the free ticket to come and watch the Steve Smith and Glenn Maxwell show. And we'll at least get to stand out there at Short Third Man and watch it, you know, so, but yeah, let's protect our best talent and our next best bunch of group of cricketers.
0: That actually leads into the next point I wanted to ask you about. You're obviously a player at the back end of your career, but but for those emerging into the game now, and I'm thinking particularly around the T20 game, but also its impact on the other formats. what are the opportunities but also the challenge, if, you, if you're looking at a, if you're a 20, 21-year-old player now, what are the big decisions you're going to have to make in the next sort of five, 10 years of your career?
1: Yeah, I mean, you've, geez, you've done your homework. These are bloody good questions. And, you know, well, you just enjoy well, Let's forget the cameras on because it's a fun <laughs> challenge, this sort of stuff. I think that is the big challenge. You know, I'd liken it to, and it's not this player wants to play all forms of cricket, but let's just say you're a young Ollie Davies, and I use him because he's at Manly and he's a a bit of a goer. You know, hits the ball hard, and just likes to get on with it. You know, if you're a young player now and you want to play for your state, you might get a base state contract of, I don't know, maybe 80 grand. That means you have to train with New South Wales in the hope that you might get a shield game and a one-day game for New South Wales, but you may not. You may be in and in and out. But we already know he's such an unbelievable T20 talent on the rise. He's a young man at 20. Now, you know, what's to stop him going, you know what? I'm just. I'm going to go and play in all these T20 tournaments. I'm not interested. You want to pick me for a Shield game if I'm available? That's fine. But I'm going to be in the UAE, I'm going to be in the T10. I'm going to be here, and I'm going to pick up a million dollars a year. And I'm, for, I'm going to forgo my any dream I had of playing four day cricket because this is longevity in the game. This is money, you know. And a lot of people will say, "Oh, well, you know, you don't want to play Test cricket." And I'm like, "Well, they, these are these are questions that kids will face, you know, if they are that way inclined." So that is a challenge. How do you fix that? I, again, it's, it's you have to sit around a round table and work out your best way of keeping these young, talented kids engaged. But I see genuinely see that as being an issue going forward. It's kids going, why would I want to go to the grind when I can just do this? You know.
0: do, do you think then, um, and I guess we've seen it a little bit, or we're seeing a little bit what Tim David's done and the way he's come into the game, do you think a more flexible approach to to how players are retained by clubs and a more sort of holistic view going okay look yeah. you're, you you're you not gonna have to sign this 12-month state contract but that doesn't mean we're not that doesn't mean we're shunning you from state cricket we just accept that you've got different skill sets there are other, other other teams that are out there for you but we still want you involved in Australian Creek yeah. do you think there's a middle sort yep. of road that can be ploughed here
1: Yep, I think so. I think that, yeah, that doing separate sort of white ball contracts versus red ball contracts versus state contracts, that's exactly right. Making them look a little bit more flexible and you bang on. I think that's the way forward is is get, getting some of these guys and going, look, I know you're going to go to the UAE league, but we want you for this six-week block here to play these games. You know, All right, We've looked at the calendar and this is where we see you fitting in with the opportunity of X, but we know you might want to go do Y. And I think that those conversations need to be really broad-based and flexible and then it allows down the line, you know, for people to actually go, you know what, I've got, my doors aren't shut completely in one area, you know, Um, and how you do, you know, Tim David, I remember, he said no to playing for Australia, if you remember, because he went to the Pakistan League, and, you know, some people, again, will turn their nose up at that, but I can completely understand and go, well, you know what, this guy's just, he he doesn't know how long this is going to go. He's one ankle spraying away or knee injury from never playing again. And he's got this opportunity to go and earn really good money versus playing for his country and, and costing him money, essentially. So he said, no, I'm going to go and do that instead. So how do you do it? The flexibility around your contracts is the bang on one. So CA white ball contracts, New South Wales white ball, red ball contracts, windows where you can play, pockets you can pick them into to play. I think that's how the future contract will look.
0: Um, As someone who... So when you're around your grade clubs uh, the weekends and stuff are playing do you when you're talking to younger players do you is australia still the dream for them at the moment or are there are or, or are their heads being turned by dollar signs even these perhaps these young cricketers oh. who are who are grade cricketers at the moment and because that pathway's always been grade cricket to australian cricket is that still the ultimate for them
1: um I think it would be hard to sort of generalise it. I think everyone's different in their own right. And I know I use Dolly Davies, but I know that that's not how he thinks. I'm just using him as a player as an example. Um, but I think it's very individual. Some people will, yep, that's the baggy green. That's their their way forward and what they want to do. I think, was it Sam Fanning who was batting for WA said his idol was, no, it's T. Wheely. T. Wheely, yeah. Yeah, yeah his, his idol was Rahul Robert. So you mm. can see straight from the outset that this kid wants to play test cricket. He's a 19-year-old who loves, he's the purest of the game. And for him to say to his favorite played cricket is Rahul Drava, well, I know this, what this guy wants. He wants a baggy green and that's how he's thinking about it. But then again, you know, you think of these other kids who are dynamic or mystery spinners who may not get a go in, say, shield or longer forms, hats of glue maybe, you know. He's like, well, I can just go and play T20 cricket. You know, test mm-hmm. cricket is not maybe something that I want to work hard at. I'm just going to keep working hard at this. And again, I'm not, I'm not speaking for him. I'm just using that style of player as an example. There's so many avenues now to go down that they just don't – if Baggy Green looks so hard to do, you know, then some kids in there quite right won't do it. And I think if I was posed the same question at 20 and I was batting and bowling and it took me sort of four to five years between my Shield games, you know, if, if there was an opportunity there to go and play T20 cricket in that middle game where I wasn't getting a game for New South Wales, I was barely playing, I probably could have gone down a different path. You know, But the opportunity wasn't there. But now that opportunity for that kid to go, oh, mate, you just need to put in four years of hard work at 70 grand a year and you might get the baggy blue. And these kids are going, no, nah, I'll, I'll go somewhere else. And I couldn't blame them for that.
0: The, you kind of touched on it there, but there's more ways now than ever to forge a successful cricket career. So that can only be a good thing, surely. For the, Obviously, there are challenges in the game about formats and those of us who are a bit more traditionalist, don't want to see test cricket wither and and things like that. And there are challenges, but fundamentally, there are more cricketers now earning a good living playing cricket, and that and that 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 must be a good thing from the way the game is heading.
1: Yeah, you nailed it. And again, you know, I appreciate you thinking about all that because it is. It, it's it is exciting to see the next group of players come through as twenty and have options. It's not here, it's in England, it's in a different league, it's playing against world-class, it's, world it's travelling. And if you put all that out there, you're like, how how good's this game that provides these doors and opportunities for kids to travel and experience and share knowledge and grow the game everywhere? You know, and it is, they're all popping up and, you know, now it's probably the most exciting time in cricket. It's the most challenging time. I'm a purist and I want these young players to play for Australia. I want them to get into the grind, as Uzi said the other day on TV, and put their heads down and play 100 tests and, Emulate Steve Smith and hit 29 cents. Emulate Ricky Ponting, um, but you know, ultimately, it, the glitter of going over and playing in Dubai for two weeks and fielding for half an hour, as opposed to <laughs> <laughs> for four and a half days chasing a red ball around in India, where they're just, you know, you've made a pair and and the crowd is just. Yelling at you at a 65 degrees heat, all right, you're like, oh, do we do? <laughs> I'll watch that from my aircon room in Dubai, thanks, you know. So, I, yeah, it's exciting but challenging, and you've hit the nail on the head.
0: Just one final topic I want to touch on you before I let you go, because I know it's something you do keep a close eye on, and we've spoken about it before, actually. It's sort of young Australian spinners, um, and you've had one of them involved with the Sixers, uh, Todd Murphy, um, who's pushing himself towards higher honours at the moment. Um, I remember speaking to you maybe 12, 18 months ago, and there was a little bit of concern about where host Nathan Lyon would go. Um, are there more encouraging signs now? We saw Matt Kuhneman in the winter. you got Todd Murphy. Adam Zampa's just got a shield game. Tanvir Sang, as I know, has got a, a back injury at the moment. But um, do you feel a little bit more confident now in the future of Australian spin oh, bowling?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think a lot's changed in 12 to 18 months. and the names that you've listed, you know, your Tanvi Sanger, who I think's is going to be such a super talent for Australia, you know, in red ball, all forms. We've already seen in T20. You've got Mitchell Strepson, who's been a project player for a long time. And I think when he gets his opportunity in the, you know, in hopefully a bit better conditions, we've seen how hard it is in Pakistan and where he's had to play looking at the game last night. Um, then you've got Kuhneman. Then you've got Ben Menente, who's coming on, who's moved to South Australia. Um, Zampa's, now, as you said, coming back and playing. I like the Roccicelli. I really like his attributes. He's a, he's a fine bowler. And that's not to mention Murphy, Agar and Holland. So these are all names now that normally you when you think about spinning the country, when I was coming through, there might be two or three names that you might throw up, you know, Crazier, Doherty, Beer or something like that. And you go, okay, well, there's our three. Kasson. You know, and you're like, oh, okay, oh, Horowitz is the one-day spinner. And, you know, and you're like, geez, there's not much there. Whereas now you go into states and there's maybe two or three down that actually have already proven themselves in levels up. So I feel like in the last 18 months, yeah, and maybe T20 cricket's helped that. You know, It's more teams, so more exposure and having to learn different ways to bowl and bowling at higher levels have helped us create a pool depth or depth of players. So I think we're in great condition. I think we're in our best place ever to go to India and be able to pick whoever we pick from there, go, geez, there's actually a really strong pool of players, you know, probably take Tanvir out because he's injured. But, you know, Mm. if you take your Swipson, Lyon, Agar, around. Rounder, then do you take, you know, Murphy? Do you take Holland? Do you take Kuhneman? Do you take Menenti? Do you, you know, so you've actually got so many choices there now, which is so exciting to see, Um, you know, Lloyd Pope is in his cricket journey as well. He burst onto the scene and is now finding a new way to bowl. And I'm sure he'll come back better than ever when he comes back to play. So, yeah, I think Australian spin bowling depth is just so good. And it's nice and refreshing to say that uh, because it hasn't been for a long time. But now you're seeing the Shield game in Victoria on a green top, two teams playing two spinners. And I just think that's awesome. You know, green and... Zampa for New South Wales and Murphy in Holland in Victoria. And very rarely would you ever come across, you know, you, sometimes you're lucky to squeeze one spinner in. You have to convince the coach and cut them and twist the arms and bribe them to pay one spinner. And now teams are paying two. So that's, that's I guess, shows you where the, the talent is at the moment.
0: Well, Steve, um, I appreciate your time today. Um, thanks very much. It was a very enjoyable catching up with you. Best of luck for the season with the Sixers. If it's the last one, if it's not, then maybe we'll have this interview again in twelve months' time and go through the go through the same topics again. But if it's if it is the last one, I hope it's enjoyable. I hope you get a few polls and uh, maybe even nick a few runs down to a, <laughs> down fine leg, and hopefully don't pull a calf during that time and maybe get another trophy under your belt. But yeah, as ever, appreciate your time, Steve, and all the best for the next uh, couple of months.